I am excited this morning for us to kick off and launch a new series here in the life of Walk Church. When we first started a little over a year and a half ago, uh, we opened up the book of Philippians, which is a letter written to a church plant in the New Testament in the city of Philippi, and we walked verse by verse through that book uh, for a total of 44 sermons. It took us about a year, and it was an awesome journey uh, in the book of Philippians, and I am so glad that we get the, the joy now to open a new book in the Bible and take our time learning and digging from this awesome word from the Lord written to the church in Ephesus. Uh, maybe you would ask the question, why title our study through Ephesians, specifically Ephesians chapter 1, The Blessed Life? I want to give you quickly two reasons why we've chosen this title for our sermon series. I believe the concept, The Blessed Life, is more popular today than it's ever been. Um, and while I say that, I also would like to say that while it's the most popular, I think it's also the most misunderstood. And I want us to identify something that is uh, widely known and widely shared about um, and make sure that we know what we're talking about as the church when we say the blessed life. The word blessed has been circulating around pop culture and mainstream media over the past couple years in a wide variety of ways. Pop and hip-hop artists such as Chance the Rapper, Bruno Mars, Lecrae have made songs recently using the phrase blessing or hashtag blessed. Um, if you look on social media, you'll find this phrase hashtag blessed used multi-millions of times. Emily Arada wrote in an article recently published called Blessed is the New Brag that Instagram, the social media site, hosts more than 46 million hashtag blessed posts boasting about early morning workouts or flower deliveries at work or nights even getting wasted with friends. Jessica Bennett of the New York Times says that calling something, in quotes, blessed has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble. And I want us to ask today, is that really what the blessed life is? I want us to say, well, what, what really is the blessed life? And if 46 million people in our country are on their mobile devices or tablets and are posting pictures and are using the biblical word blessed to describe it, that's a lot of posts being sent out. And that doesn't even include the millions of Twitter or Facebook users that would also do the same. I believe that culture is looking at the word blessed from a specific lens that may not be the biblical lens. The second reason why I wanted us to use this title as a sermon series title is because this is exactly what the book of Ephesians is talking about. Specifically in chapter 1, we see God use the Apostle Paul to write a letter to his church about what exactly the blessed life is all about. I want to set the stage for our study through Ephesians. 
um, with one specific verse that I want to highlight right now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. So if you would be so kind to turn with me to Ephesians 1, 3 in your Bibles, or you can look with me on the screen, that is where we're going to go right now. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. If you're ready, say, blessed. I like it. Paul writes in this greeting intro to the Ephesian church, and here's what he says. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So in just one verse alone, we see the Apostle Paul saying, hey, this is a blessed chapter that we're going to really highlight throughout this series. And what does the blessed life look like? Well, first off, it starts with the blessed God, amen? Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love how my brother Joey said it this past week at our prayer gathering on Wednesday night that I would really encourage some of you guys to come to because it's really a sweet time of growing deeper in your relationship with the Lord and praying around the gospel. Um, but Joey opened us up with a word on the power and purpose of prayer, and he said, whenever we pray, we should always start with God. One, because he's worthy of being the starting place, and two, because he's the one we're talking to, amen? Um, I believe Paul understood that because he says, hey, when we're talking about the blessed life, we gotta start with God. Let's not move to anything else before we acknowledge the, the source of the blessing. The blessed Lord and Savior himself. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul takes it a step further and he goes, let me tell you why. One of the reasons why he's such a blessed God. <laughs> because he's for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. In Christ with, say that E word with me, every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Hey, what does the word every mean in the Greek? Every. Let's not make it more difficult or complicated than it needs to be. When God talks about him blessing us with every spiritual blessing, that means that we are not lacking at all. That means you cannot go to God's bank account and uh, be negative, right? You can't draw from his ATM of blessing and run out. He said, hey, I want you to tap in to the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and draw from this bank of blessing that's found in Christ. This phrase, in Christ, is gonna be an important phrase over the course of this series. Partly because the whole New Testament is littered with the word or the phrase in Christ. All throughout the New Testament, we see that we find our joy, purpose, power, passion in Christ. But here's what I also want you to know. The blessed life is found completely in him. We cannot experience the life that Jesus has set out for us which is the blessed life, apart from him. 
John 15, verse 5, simply says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I like breaking that word nothing up into two words. No thing. You can't do no thing apart from him. In him, you can do all things. He says it like this. He says, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing, in the heavenly places. I don't know about you, but I want to experience heavenly things on earth. Like I want to have, I want to have heavenly encounters, even in this short moment that I have, this speck of time that Haydn will have on earth. I want to, I want to experience heavenly blessings in my life today. Some people are, are deceived into thinking eternity starts when I go to heaven. Eternity starts now. Right? It's not like, oh, I got saved, I got my ticket to heaven, and one day when I get there, I'm going to be there. No, no, no. Heaven is in us. Jesus himself is an embodiment of heaven, and he lives his life through his church. That is the blessed life, that we get to experience every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places in our lives because of the blessed God and Father who has blessed us. So I truly believe that the blessed life is a fitting title for Ephesians chapter one and our study of walking verse by verse through this chapter. Let me give you guys a defining statement. Maybe you can write this down or take a picture of it on the screen. I just want us to use this phrase and this sentence as something that we'll work with uh, through our time. The blessed life is knowing the blessed Father and understanding all of the blessings that we have in Him. Right? I want you to catch that. that th- this is what the blessed life is. 46 million people might tell you otherwise through their social media or even through music or even through TV. But The blessed life really is knowing the blessed Father. To actually know Him? Like, like do you know God? Like, do you actually know Him or do you just know about Him? To actually know Him is a big deal, right? Like, to actually be like, yo, I know Him. I have a relationship with God the Father. Wow! Like, God breathes out stars. Like, what do you breathe out? You know, like, God's like, I'm going to like, and like, planets are made. And he names them. Even God, like, he's like naming stars and planets. And we think that we're cool. Like, God woke you up. And for you to be able to say, like, yeah, I know him. I know the blessed father. That's why we just saying, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Don't worship my name or your name or anybody else's names, but Blessed life is knowing the blessed Father, and here's the secret, and understanding all of the blessings that we have in him. See, I, I don't think that we fully understand all that it means to, 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 to know him and, and have these blessings in him. We're, we're going we're gonna to walk through the book of Ephesians, which is intentionally packed with understanding of what it means to be in Christ. Let me give you a couple examples, and we're going to get to them, but you heard it on the bumper video, right? In Christ means to be forgiven. 
In Christ means to be chosen. In Christ means to be adopted. In Christ means to be sealed with his spirit. Think about sealing something, right? Like that, 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 that compressed seal. Like we are sealed, covered with his spirit. In Christ means to be looked upon by God with favor. In Christ means to be seen as holy. In Christ means to be seen as blameless. In Christ means to be predestined according to his will, to the image of our creator. Did you know that you get all those things in Christ? Right? If you understand that you have all that in him, you'll be like, man, I'm blessed. And I didn't need anything else. But these are deep subjects that we're going to walk through and learn from through the book of Ephesians. Many scholars have commentated and wrote books on uh, this awesome six-chapter letter that we know as Ephesians. R. Kent Hughes says that Ephesians answers the question, what does it mean to be in Christ and what does this demand of us? John MacArthur says Ephesians has rightly been titled the believer's bank and the treasure house of the Bible. This beautiful letter tells Christians of their great riches, inheritance, and fullness in Jesus Christ and in his church. It unfolds for them the infinite blessings they possess in Christ and how they can claim and enjoy those possessions. Tell you what, I'm excited about jumping into the treasure house of the Bible. I want to pull from these treasures. I want to apply them to my life. Scholars would break the book of Ephesians up into really two main subcategories, and they're two D words. The first word is the word doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, you're going to see a lot of doctrine. What does the word doctrine mean? It just means the study of God. It means understanding and knowing God on a deeper level having some intellectual knowledge about who our creator and savior is, A.W. Tozer would say that's the most important thing about you. What comes to your mind when you think about God is a big deal. There are whole cults and religions and demonic influences in our society today because people have wrong thinking when it comes to God. So doctrine is very important. What we think about God matters, and I'm thankful that Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3 takes time for us to understand God rightly and true. So we break the book up into doctrine, and the second half of Ephesians would be duty. What do we do about this knowledge, right? Paul would also say in another place that knowledge puffs up, right? If all we do is have knowledge of God and never do anything with it, what a waste. When there's so many people that are starving for rich knowledge of God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews says that the Old Testament was waiting, was waiting to see what God was going to do, was waiting to see how God was going to save, was waiting to see the Messiah. And we see the Old Testament close 
apart from sending the Savior of the world, but in the New Testament picks up right where the Old Testament leaves off as if it's one storyline as God sends the Meshua, the Savior, in Jesus Christ. And now the heavens are glorifying like that was God's plan to send his son the whole time. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. What a, the, the, you got people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob if there, is a, if there is like a godly envious spirit, if there is, they would have that toward you. Because they never got to experience the Messiah the way we do. That, that somebody like Daniel the prophet or Jeremiah or Isaiah that talked about the Messiah but never experienced the Messiah will look at you today and say, man, you're, you're living the blessed life. You get to actually be in Christ. I got to talk about Christ. You got to actually have Jesus live his life in you and through you. That's pretty cool. Don't waste that. That's the blessed life. So doctrine, the study of God, and duty, what do we do with it? Chapters 4 through 6. And this awesome six-chapter book is full of a lot of great wisdom for us today. I would encourage you to read through this book. And, and, and after you get done reading through this book, you know what I encourage you to do? Read it again. I'm going to probably read through the book of Ephesians 50 times over the next year. I'm just going to keep reading through it, and I'm, I'm going to meditate on this book. And I want to understand. I want to grow deeper into understanding the treasure house of the Bible. I want to tap into this bank, and I want to grow closer to Jesus while I'm doing it. I invite you to join me on that journey. Amen? Amen. As we get ready to jump into the opening verses of this book, um, I would invite you now to pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, this is not a wasted moment. This is a powerful moment. This is a moment in history, God, where we get to just pause and open your word and eat and learn from the bread of life. So Father, we ask you to teach us now. We ask you to guard our hearts in Christ. We ask you to to, to, to draw us closer to you because God we want the blessed life we want to we know you Father better because of this time and we want to understand all that you have for us so we don't waste it in Jesus name Amen whenever you open a new book in the Bible and begin to read it which is a good and healthy task I think that a, a good starting place is to meet the author, right? You want to not just know what the book is saying, but who it is that's writing to you. And it's important to know who that is that is writing to you. And Paul helps us understand that by opening this letter in verse 1 of Ephesians 1, part A, by starting out with him as the author. So let's meet the author, you guys. I want us to meet him today and understand deeper about who is writing to us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1a, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. We start out with this man named Paul. And it's important that you know who's writing to us because maybe we can learn from Paul today. And if you've never met Paul, I want to introduce you to this brother so you don't just meet him in heaven and be like, oh, so you're Paul. No one ever told me about you. Well, when we first meet Paul... We actually are introduced to a man named Saul. In Acts chapter 7, we run into this man by the name of Saul 
who is entirely different than the person that you may think he is at this moment in time. Saul was known for his breathing threats upon the church of Jesus Christ. Saul was a Pharisee. Saul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Saul was a Jewish man who obeyed the law. He was also a righteous man in good standing with the community. He was a man of power and rule, and he absolutely hated and despised the church. With everything in him, he could not stand the name of Jesus. Like, deep hatred. Like, you believe in Jesus, I'm going to do everything I can to put you in jail. I'm going to, like, it wasn't his job to do that. He just wanted to do that. So in Acts chapter 7, as a man of authority, we see the first ever deacon in the Bible, a man by the name of Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, a man who was faithful, a man who was holy, a man who loved Jesus, a man who served the church. We see Paul, then at the moment Saul, bring Stephen, right, before a bunch of people who are ready to kill and stone this man named Stephen, and it's Paul who gives the thumbs up. Like, put his death on my tab. And we see the first ever deacon of the church stoned to death, killed in his own blood, at Paul's hand. In Acts chapter 8, we see Paul continuing to do his uh, demonic works of persecuting the church, And in Acts chapter 9, in the first 10 verses, we see transformation happen before our eyes. It says that Saul is on his way to a city called Damascus, and he is very intentional on his journey to persecute the church. He was going to go door to door, not to evangelize, not to hand out tracts, praise God, not to witness, but, but to stir people up, draw them out of their homes, and then throw them in prison. Paul said, I'm, I'm going on a journey and I'm pulling people out of their homes. If they believe in Jesus, they're going to jail. And I got documents to prove it. And Saul's on his journey and he takes a step. Was he on a horse or not? I don't know. But one day he saw a light. This light knocked him down and he heard these words. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Here's a couple things I want you to know about this verse and why it's important. Because Jesus knocked Saul down right there, the blessed Father, the blessed Lord and Savior, knocks Saul down as he's not impressed by humans. And he says, why are you persecuting me? But there's a very rich theological principle here. Here's what I want you to see. Had Saul ever touched Jesus physically? No. But when you touch the church, you touch Christ. What's one reference that Jesus uses as a metaphor for the church? The body, right? We are the body of Christ. Jesus loves the church so much that he knocks Saul down. And he says, why are you persecuting me, bro? And Saul's like, is, who is that? He says, me, Jesus. And Saul for a second goes, I never touched you, Jesus. If you touch the church, you touch him. The church may have its quirks and be a little messy and funky, but at the end of the day, we're the body and bride of Christ. We're the hope of the world. The local church. 
For the, for the Christian that says, hey, I'm spiritual. I don't do the church thing. You're a liar. You're not spiritual. You're sinful. I, I, I love Jesus. I just don't like the people. Well, then you don't like Jesus because Jesus loves the people. Not only does he love the people, he associates himself with the people. Here's how you know, because he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am the church. That's my body. Don't be a spooky Christian that walks around with the head of Jesus. I just don't like the body of Jesus. I just hold his head, right? That's not a picture of Jesus. We want a full picture of the body of Christ. He has chosen to clothe himself with the church. Now, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. That's why holiness is a big deal. That's why obedience is a big deal. That's why doctrine and duty go hand in hand. That's why we need to do this together. That's why we need to work on each other and with him and grow deeper into Christ. But the body of Christ is a big deal. And so Jesus makes that known to Saul. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, is that you, Lord? And in that moment, his life changed because Jesus said, it's me, Jesus. In that moment, Saul was blinded by the light and was sent on a journey to find a man named Ananias. Ananias, on the other hand, was a man of God, a a leader. He he was a faithful brother, and he's just at his house doing his thing, just chilling. And Jesus appears to Ananias in the spirit and says, Ananias, I'm, I'm sending you somebody. He says, who are you sending me? Let's go. He said, I'm sending you Saul of Tarsus. And I love how Ananias had to question Jesus. He was like, you sure? <laughs> you got the right one? Last I saw that brother, he killed somebody. <laughs> like, why are you sending him to my house? Like, did I do something wrong? And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. I'm going to use him. I've chosen Saul to be a minister of the gospel to the Gentile world. This Jewish Pharisee persecutor of the church, I'm going to redeem his life and not just redeem him. He's going to walk through some trials and tribulation and it's going to be messy. It's going to be hard for him. He's actually going to suffer much for my name, but ultimately I'm going to use him to minister the gospel. And Ananias says, if you say so, Jesus... Next thing you know, Paul shows up at the door, Ananias prays over him, his eyes are opened, he's able to see, and his name is changed to Paul. He has a new identity, he has a new passion, and he has a new calling on his life. And it didn't happen quick. He he left that place, he was like, let's go, let's go preach the gospel. But he, I think, forgot for a second who he was. And so... Paul now jumps into the synagogue and says, you got to believe in Jesus. And they're like, eh? Weren't you the one who just, something's not adding up. And then Paul says, all right, let me go to the church. And they're like, eh? You're not, you can't just come up in here. You know what you did to Stephen, bro? You need to like apologize or something. <laughs> like you're trying to trick us. And for two years, Paul was off the grid by himself. Him and a man named Barnabas who took Paul in and discipled him and encouraged him. And when the church didn't accept Paul and the Jewish community didn't accept Paul, there was a man named Barnabas who said, walk with me. We need more Barnabases in the church that are willing to accept outcast people who don't quite fit in. And there should be nobody who doesn't fit in. There's a piece of the puzzle for everybody in the church. 
And we need more people like Barnabas to just wrap their arms around you and say, you know what, I want to walk with you for however long it takes till you're redeemed and restored to the right place that you need to be. And for two years, two years, Paul wasn't preaching, Paul wasn't doing it. He was just with Barnabas, and Barnabas was investing the gospel into this man's life. And then one day Paul said, you know what, I think I'm finally ready. And Paul would go on to possibly be the greatest church planner of all time and start a move of the gospel that would not just make its way to cities around where he lived, but ultimately to the nations around him. And Paul would bring the gospel to Rome. Paul was, he had a vision to bring the gospel to Spain. Paul was on the move planting churches. One of the churches that Paul started was the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus is still around today. You can go to Turkey to visit Ephesus, and you can see the ruins of the Apostle Paul's church. So on my bucket list to one day preach from the book of Ephesians in Ephesus. Um, and Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, by the will of God, is writing to the church that he started in Ephesus. And so it's important for us to understand who's writing for, to us. It's important for us to meet the author. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Why does he say that? It's an important phrase. There are only 14 apostles uh, of Christ Jesus in the history of the church. There's the 12 that you're familiar with. Uh, one dropped out. His name was Judas. So they picked up a new one. His name was Matthias. And Paul. Paul, the 14th apostle that made his way into apostleship when Jesus spoke to him through the light, and he had an encounter, and then God called him to do great works. So Paul is writing to the church saying, hey, I have a little bit of authority here. I have apostleship. And so Paul is not trying to be braggadocious when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, but when he tags on by the will of God, he's making sure that we know today that it's nothing that Paul did. It wasn't Paul just one day said, you know what? Deck, I think I'm going to be an apostle. I want to make a name tag that says Apostle Hyden. That would be out of my will, and that would mean nothing at all. That would be like a joke. Really. And Paul said, hey, I didn't sign up to be an apostle. I got knocked down one day, and Jesus changed my life. Is that anybody's story? Is that anybody else's testimony, right? And Paul said, hey, this was by the will of God. God said, hey, I'm choosing you to be a servant, a pastor, a leader, a church planner, author of many books in the Bible. I'm gonna use you to minister the gospel to the Gentiles by the will of God. I, I wanna just take a second by the will of God and just remind us about this phrase, by the will of God. It's an important phrase for us too. We see it in the gospel of, of, of John chapter one. Check these verses out with me, you guys, as we're just gonna continue to navigate through here. Jesus one of the first things that we learn about him in the Gospel of John is this. He came to his own. So Jesus starts out by coming to his own people, his, his family, the people that he has come to save. He is the king of Israel. He is the Jewish Messiah. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. And then we see this word, but 
to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That God, if you're a born-again believer today in Jesus, here's what I want you to know. There's nothing that you did. Do not boast in your own faith. Do not boast in your own righteousness, but boast in the Lord God who included you in his will. Like God was writing his will, he's like, I want to include you. You, you, you are in, invited into his family. Look, who believed in his name? He gave the right. You got rights today, church. You got the right to become a child of God. God doesn't want orphans in church. He wants family. He, he died to move orphans into family. And all of us, apart from Christ, are running around like spiritual lost sheep looking for a shepherd, looking for a savior. And he says, hey, I, 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 I want to give you a new birth into my family. Not by the will of flesh, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. And so today, we might not be able to call ourselves apostles the same way the apostle Paul was able to back in the day, but here's what we can do. We can call ourselves born again, believers in Christ, adopted into his family. That is the blessed life. By the will of God, we are called family in Christ. I just don't want us to miss that right there. As we continue, we don't just want to meet the author. We want to meet the audience. Let's meet the audience of the Philippian church. I mean, I'm sorry, the Ephesian church. Uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians in part B of verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So who's Paul writing to? Paul is writing to the saints. When the saints come marching in, did anybody think about that? To the saints. What is a saint? A saint in its very minimalist term is a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you believe, your identity switches from your own identity to his identity, where you're no longer found in yourself, but you're now found in Christ, you get sainthood. You know why? Because you're found in the true saint, the capital S saint. Jesus is really the only saint. The word saint by definition means to be holy and perfected, set apart. Like if someone says, yo, you're a saint, that means that you are set apart from the rest. You are holy and righteous. And really the only true saint is Jesus, amen? But to be included in Christ Remember the in Christ, right? Don't move past the in Christ too quick because when you are in Christ, you're now a saint. And so Paul says to the saints who are in Ephesus, God sees these people in this lost city, Ephesus, as saints. But here's the difference between a real saint and a, and a false saint. It's not whether you play for a football team in New Orleans Here's, here's how you know a true saint and a false saint. A true saint is not just known as a saint by God, but is known by a saint by others. And here's how you know if that's true or not. Would somebody consider you to be faithful? If someone looked at your life, how about this? How about this? 
if tomorrow, Monday, if there was somebody who just followed you around from the time you woke up to the time you went to sleep, and they just followed you around with a camera all day, and, and the watching world was able to watch it, at the end of that, would people say, that person is faithful in Christ Jesus? Or would you look more like an atheist? Would you look more like somebody who doesn't even believe in God? Or care about Jesus? Or care about your faith? Or have any relationship with Christ at all? Sainthood is described by somebody who believes in Jesus, yes, but also somebody who is faithful in Christ Jesus. Their faith is full, and live it out. I, I, I pray that Walk Church would be a church that is filled with faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just faithful in their minds, but faithful in their actions. That is who Paul is writing to. He's saying, I want to write to the saints who live it out, who walk out true faithfulness in Christ. This in Christ Jesus phrase is continuing to make its way into the first couple of verses, and we need to make sure that we're living that message out. Finally, we see what the author writes to the audience as we jump into this letter. We've we've met Paul. We've met the saints in Ephesus, this small body of believers, this church. It was probably meeting in a home in Ephesus. And here's what he writes to them. He says... Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Say the word grace with me. Just say it. Grace. He says, grace to you and peace. What a greeting. Have you ever just taken a second to think about greetings? We got all types of different greetings, don't we? Like, but, but why do we have the greetings that we have? Like, think about a greeting. Like, Hello. What does that even mean? Like, hello. Or like, what's up? Like, how can people don't say like the sky? Like, uh, uh, my buddy Nick said he caught me off guard the other day. I was like, what you up to, Nick? And he said, I'm about 5'11". I was like, all right, I got you. Right? Or like, how you doing? Like, what do you mean, how am I doing? I'm, I'm, what am I doing? How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm good or I'm bad. And a lot of times we, we just give cliche, cheesy answers. But I love what Paul does. He doesn't greet with an unintentional greeting here. He says, grace to you. I want you to experience grace. I want you to encounter grace. Now, I'm not saying that we need to just go ahead and steal this page out of Paul's book and start saying grace to you to everybody. Um, that could be a little weird. But the purpose of greeting here, right? He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. He doesn't just want to say hello. That's too weak. He doesn't just want to say, hey, what's up, Walk Church? He says, grace to you. I love how Judah Smith says it, uh, a pastor out of Seattle. He says, grace isn't a concept. Grace is a person. And his name is Jesus. When you say, when you say grace to you, Brother Dean... You're saying, I'm, 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 I'm giving you Jesus right now. Like, I'm, I'm reflecting Christ 
to you right now. I want you to encounter and experience him, Ephesian church. I want you to have grace, walk church. I want you to be filled with grace and not just grace, but, but even peace. Grace and peace. J.I. Packer says that the peace of God is first and foremost peace with God. To know Jesus and his grace is to know peace. Think about it. Apart from the peace and the grace that God gives us, we don't know peace. We could know a fabricated form of peace, but to actually know peace is not what we would know. We would know wrath. We would know sin. We would know punishment for our sin. But because we know Jesus, because we know grace, we now get peace. Amen? I love how Max Lucado says it. He puts it like this in his book. He says, when grace moves in, guilt moves out. So if you are experiencing guilt today, you need to have an encounter with grace. If you are experiencing levels of guilt today, you need to, you need to run into the, to the person of Jesus who has died for your guilt. In Christ, guilt is removed. And grace moves in. The wasted years, the poor choices of life, God answers the mess of life with one word, grace. So when we greet, we greet each other with grace, that's a big deal, amen? I may want to start using that more. Just I want to start giving people grace when I meet them, when I encounter them on site. I want you to experience grace. I want you to be filled with peace. You know why? Because I meet so many people that aren't. Have you ever just ran into somebody and you're just like, man, that person needs peace. They just need grace. As our worship team makes their way back up here, we're going to get ready to close our time out. And I just wanted us to just have an introductory Sunday today where we uh, get some big picture themes of the book of Ephesians, uh, doctrine and duty, the blessed life that he has for us, grace and peace. Ultimately, it's found in Christ. Verse 1, we meet the author. The second part of verse 1, we meet the audience, the saints in Ephesus that are faithful in Christ. Uh, verse 2, we get the greeting, grace and peace from, from the Lord Jesus himself. And finally, we, we get verse 3, just to read it again. Would you guys read it off the screen with me out loud? Let's do it. Come on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, how much more is he going to provide for you today? How much more is he going to take care of your needs? I'll close with a quote from the great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon. He said that he that giveth us heaven will surely give us all that is needful on the road thither. He's given us heaven. He's willing to give us all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. How much more on the way there is he going to take care of your needs and your needs and your needs and my needs? And the blessed life is knowing the blessed Father and understanding all that we have in him. Two things we learned today. 
Let's just start keeping count. But I know two things that we get today. One is grace. Two is peace. Those two alone is equal to a rich life. If you can live a life filled with the grace of God, surrounded and clothed by the peace of God, that's pretty strong right there. And I want us to enjoy that. And we're going to dive deeper into that. We're going to drink deeply from this well in Ephesians 1. God's going to change our lives through it. Father, thank you for the blessed life.